0: Welcome to Uptown Chats, a podcast where we share stories about environmental justice by and for everyday people. I'm your co-host, Jaron, And I'm your other co-host, Lonnie. Lonnie, can you tell the folks Act's mission statement? With pleasure. act's mission
1: is to build healthy communities by ensuring that people of color and or low income residents participate meaningfully in the creation of sound and fair environmental health and protection policies and practices.
0: Nailed it. Gets better every time, doesn't it? Every single time, yeah. This episode was originally uh, just going to be about transportation in general, right? We uh, had originally just wanted to talk about transportation, and and maybe even talk about you know bikes and bike infrastructure, partly because I was in a, a non-fatal, clearly bike accident uh, earlier uh, earlier this year, uh, about a month ago, as a result of poorly designed bike infrastructure, aka non-protected bike lanes. But you know. I'm here and alive, and as much as we would love to talk about bike infrastructure, we're actually going to talk about equitable transit, hence the, the title of the episode.
1: You know, transportation overall is a really, really large topic with a lot going on. So we could be talking anything about bike infrastructure, like you mentioned, all the way to the electrification of, of school buses and everything in between. But we really want to focus on equitable transit, because when you think of New York and you think of New York City, what do you think of? You think of buses, subways, cabs, all of these different ways that New Yorkers uniquely get around. And so we wanted to focus on the fact that this is what people think about when they think about transit in New York City.
0: Yeah, which is great. I I remember first kind of starting to learn that experience that when I moved to New York about four and a half years ago, uh, I'd moved to New York City with my car and very quickly realized it's a terrible city to have a car in. I know some people do still keep their car in the city, but I think within a Two weeks of being in the city, got my first parking ticket and struggled to find parking multiple times. And I was like, why do people do this? This sounds unpleasant. And I you know, quickly came to appreciate transit and buses and trains in, also, in the city. And you also probably
1: realize that most New Yorkers don't actually own a car or yeah. a vehicle.
0: Yeah. You don't need it. You don't. You yeah. shouldn't
1: need it. Yeah.
0: You don't need it. But even more excitingly, another reason that you know we're excited to be talking about equitable transit in New York is because congestion pricing uh, which a lot of folks have been paying attention to over the last several months probably longer than that however long it's been around as an idea finally got approval federal approval and is going to become a reality right lots of
1: excitement sorry you cannot hear that in my tone of <laughs> <words>. <laughs> i
0: see it in your I, I see it in your face but you know the people can't the people can't see your face Lonnie. Yeah. um i mean i actually have an article right here right in front of me this is our first little bit of ej in the news uh, a new bit that we just started to put into practice. But it's from the it's, uh The title of this article is NYC Congestion Pricing Gets Key Federal Approval, Possibly in Place by April 2024. That's exciting news because people have been talking about it for a long time. And April 2024, that's not that far away. Yeah.
1: And we actually been doing a lot of work around congestion pricing and kind of really understanding the importance in of of this for riders and those who do use our transit system. One of the biggest pieces about congestion pricing is that it's going to bring money into our transit system to improve the system that we use
0: every day. I mean, to your point about, you know, I feel like again, a lot of people have mixed feelings about congestion pricing, but like you said, the real win when it comes to congestion pricing is that it means there's money for upgrades, much needed upgrades to the transit system. As much as we love and hate sometimes the transit system in New York, like the biggest one of the biggest challenges is it needs more money. It's often like so many so many challenges in the city. It's underfunded, right? There's more money that needs to be there. Another
1: great thing about the congestion pricing uh, being implemented is that that money that is raised through congestion pricing also is going to go towards projects that can help with air quality, particularly in communities of color and low-income communities that have been disproportionately impacted by all of the polluting facilities that are in their neighborhood as well. So this goes to tree planting, asthma clinics.
0: In other words, it's a great thing both for the transit system and just the city in general.
1: Also, another great thing that came up in the news recently is that Governor Hochul announces free fare bus routes included in an MTA pilot. So there's going to be a pilot program that adds one free bus route in
0: each borough. Yeah. All the more reason for us to be talking about equitable transit. Buses, subways, all the things. To talk a little bit more about equitable transit in the city, we actually have two special guests on our, our show today that we're going to roll those interviews here in just a second. One with Floor Huang, who is a original member of WEAC's Transportation Working Group, or TRAC, and Louis Bailey, or he goes by Bailey, who is our manager of membership and organizing here, but has done a lot of work around transportation and transit here in the city. And during our interview with Bailey, I think it is, we... Come, came up with these four, the four A's of transportation that that you'll hear about. But we'll tease you here a little bit with them now. And these are the four A's that that really speak to how you design a good transit system. And four A's are accessibility, affordability, availability, and air quality. So we won't say too much more about them now. We're gonna circle back to them later when we're talking to talking to Bailey. So sit tight, uh, uh, relax, and enjoy these two great interviews with two great community members here uh, from WEACT. Enjoy!
2: Hi. Uh, my name is Flora Huang, and I have been a member of WEAC for Environmental Justice for, wow, how long ago? <laughs> it's been, I think, that, I think about at least 12 years. Uh, and I was actively involved in the Transit Riders Action Committee or TRAC for sure.
0: Awesome, thank you. you. You jumped right into our first question, uh, you know how long you've been here at we act and for those who don't know what track is, uh can you tell us a little bit about yeah. it and what your experience was being involved with that?
2: Yeah, sure. so track is the group that focused on issues of transit justice, and so transit justice is based on the idea that the service in Midtown or downtown Manhattan should be the same service up here, that if whatever service they have up down over there in the more affluent neighborhoods, we we should get the same kind of service. Um, We know that's not true. (laughs) We know it's far from the truth. Um, And that's why we get involved in this work with transit justice. Uh And we focus mainly on, of course, transportation issues that affect upper Manhattan.
0: Can you say a little little bit about how you got involved and, and what brought you into this work and, and why you you were so passionate about it?
2: Yeah. Um, so I have been, in addition to being a member of TRAC, I'm also actively involved in Working Families Party, the Washington Heights Club. Uh, and one of the local issues the Washington Heist Club took on was the really horrible elevator service along the one line, 168th, 181st, 191st. But 181st was probably the worst out of all of them because it was just common for someone to wait 10, 20, sometimes even 30 minutes just to exit the stations because it was so crowded. Mm-hmm. The minute one of those elevators broke down, forget it, it, it was it was a hazard. Like it, It's amazing nothing actually did happen because when you would see people crowded on that platform and it just took one incident – you could see just I you know I don't even want to shudder to think about things that could have gone wrong and I think I heard a story about someone one time when the elevator got stuck for forty five minutes and someone was had who had asthma was ready to have an asthma attack and someone else had to lend her her Ventolin inhaler which yeah so that should not be happening and so we actively. Uh, Would flyer riders telling them to call three one one every time something like that happened. Uh, we met with the community board. We met with elected officials. We met with the MTA to discuss the need to improve services. And finally, we have seen like that complete new upgrade of those elevators. Although one of them is not working right now, um, but. But yeah, it was a huge improvement compared to what we saw 10, 20 years ago. And then I got involved with Co- Commute, which is also, which was put together by the Pratt Center. And they also worked on issues of transit equity too. In fact, yes, well, at that point we were pushing for bus rapid transit, which we got the, we got the modified version, select bus service, you know. And yeah, it was advocating for neighborhood transit deserts. So neighborhoods that are densely populated, but do not have adequate services. So um, I was involved in that. And then um, one of my friends, she told me about the track meetings at We Act for Environmental Justice. I was familiar with We Act as an organization, mainly in the um, the development, the the Columbia development going that was happening at that time, uh, and I that's how I got actively involved. And I brought up the one train. A lot of people agreed with me on the one train issue, um, as well as the um, the hundred twenty fifth Street corridor and why those buses are so slow. Hmm.
1: Yeah, can you um that's that's great to hear that and you know, there's a couple of things that I wanted to, to circle back to. Was one, I don't know if anyone has been in that train station, the one eighty one street, but it is it is a very scary thought to think <laughs> of if you are trapped in that station for lots of different reasons. Yeah. Um and I'm just thinking about someone who just came from outside and is extremely hot out. Not only is it extremely hot in that station, um you also talked about someone who may have asthma or breathing issues. You know, I didn't really think about something like that as well. So it's just a great point about like the the need for, for elevated service and the quality that's needed for for stations like that. And I also wanted to ask you if you could explain very quickly the difference between the two types of bus services that you mentioned. You said you were looking or aiming for was it rapid
2: bus rapid transit bus BRT. rapid transit. Yep.
1: And, but you got select bus service. Can you just kind of slightly explain the difference between the two?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, so this was actually something I learned about through um, Commute and the work that, we, that Pratt Center did with Commute. And so bus rapid transit, my understanding is it originated in Latin America, mainly in Bogota, Colombia. And because I remember reading about this, too, I think I remember reading about like how Brasilia was created, where they created a whole bunch of highways, but no actual streets. Mm. (laughs) So yeah, you can imagine how it was not a pedestrian. So Brasilia is not a pedestrian friendly city. And I think Bogota had something similar too, where they had a lot of these highways, but not actual streets. So buses were a way for many everyday residents to to commute to from to and from and so it was set up so that the buses kind of ran like almost like a subway station I guess what what the closest what you could think of is probably the light rails like mm-hmm. if you've ever been to Jersey mm-hmm. City they have the or yeah uh, Hudson County they have the light rails um, where it's It's basically like an above ground station where the bus has its own dedicated bus lane, similar to select bus service there. You pay like select bus service, you pay before you get on. So that reduces the time to actually pay your fare. It's, you know, usually there's someone actually working at that station to make sure that you pay your fare. Uh, That's one of the things that select bus service doesn't have. It's, easily wheelchair accessible, uh, so that you can easily get onto the bus. The lights are timed properly so that the bus doesn't hit too many red lights. And that's the idea. And it of course it only stops at major stops. So it's almost like it's the closest thing you can get to a railway. And it's a very cost-effective way of commun of commuting or you know of transportation because you it costs a lot of money to build rails let's look at the the second avenue subway line that mm-hmm. we just saw being built each it was 6 billion dollars for three stations now some of that of course was because the stations itself probably didn't need to be as elaborate as they are <laughs> But yeah, the the rail itself didn't cost that much money, if I remember. It was uh, it was the actual stations that ran into the billions, uh, and then they're now they're going to build three more into 125th, and that's also going to run into the billions. Uh, so this was a way to for the buses to run almost as quickly as the rails. Much more cost effective uh, at a fraction of the costs. So select bus service is kind of like that. You know, you do have the dedicated bus lane. You do have the uh, you have less stops, so it runs more quickly. You do pay your fare before you get there, but you know there's no one there to ha- kind of regulate it. In fact, if you think about it, sometimes they have to stop the bus just to make sure that everybody has paid their fare. Because, you know, some people aren't paying their fares. (laughs) You know, they're just willing to take that risk for that ticket. And the lights are not timed properly in the way that bus rapid transit is. So that's, so yes, it's a very modified version. And I saw on, I think on the M14, because I commute to the Lower East Side, and I'm all the way on Avenue D, which is another transit desert. (laughs) Yeah. But I noticed one day when I was trying to get on the M14D SBS from Union Square that they didn't have that. I think it's called neck down. uh, If I remember, it's like an extension of the platform that makes it easier for you if you are trying to, you know, if you're, if you, let's say, using a cane or a walker or a wheelchair. And, And, Right across the street is Mount Sinai. And there's a whole bunch of elderly that use that particular that particular medical office. And I'm watching them struggle to get onto this bus. And, and you know, I had to tweet at the MTA, I said, why do you have it on one side going west, but you don't have the other side going east? As I'm watching all these poor seniors trying to get onto the bus. So, so yeah, that's some of the differences between select bus service and bus rapid transit. So we wanted bus rapid transit. We got select bus service.
1: Thanks for that clarification.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. And we're actually going to circle back and ask some more specifics about that in a second. But you're kind of touching on a lot of things that uh, relate to, I think, really paint the picture for how transportation can be seen as an environmental justice issue. And a couple of things that you said that I want to circle back to, and you can maybe incorporate it into your answer for this question, uh, those, those were transit desert, the idea of a transit desert, right. and the idea of you know accessibility versus availability of transit. So just keeping those things in mind, how do you see transportation as an environmental justice issue?
2: Well, first of all, it takes cars off the road. So that that's the first thing is that the more we the more cars we get off the road, the more the less fuel we have to use, the less exhaust we're releasing into the air. We just talked about asthma, um, and all of those things do infect in quality of life, health. So that itself is enough of an environmental justice issue. You know, as a justice issue, is people need. Transportation is when you think about it, like what makes a city going. Transportation is right, it's like the circulatory system of you know, like our body. It's like the it's our we have a circulatory system that that moves blood from vessel to heart and gives us everything that we need. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. That transportation system is what we need to get to work, to get to our doctor's appointments, to Go to school to drop off our kids to this program to everything. It, it, it is you don't have an adequate transportation system. You really don't have a function, well functioning city. That's just mm-hmm. plain and simple. And the idea that just because you make much less money than, let's say, an investment, a Wall Street investment banker doesn't mean you should get less service you should doesn't mean your commute should be longer and so that's 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 how i see this as an environmental justice issue is that we're talking about air quality we're talking about health we're talking about improved quality of life that we shouldn't have to travel an hour or more to work or to school Mm-hmm. every day, while some people don't have to travel 30 minutes. So uh, that's how I see it as uh, as an environmental justice issue.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. And just to, to quickly define it, I think people kind of get the picture by this point. But in like a couple words, what, how would you describe a transit desert? Like what, what does that, in your mind's eye, look like?
2: So a transit desert is any area that does not have Easy availability and access to public transportation. So, um, I think I just brought up. Yeah, Alphabet City is probably um, an example of a transit desert here in Manhattan. You would think here in Manhattan you shouldn't have to walk any more than five minutes to a train station. That doesn't exist in Alphabet City, where anywhere they go they just have to travel a long distance to get to any kind of appointment. Mm -hmm. I work in the child welfare field. And so I work with families who already have a lot of appointments to go to. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I wonder why they're not able to go, it's like, well, they got to get on that bus. And that bus takes them to. And then from there, they have to travel to a train wherever they're going. Or they have to walk 12 blocks to the Mm -hmm. closest train station. And so, yeah, that's a transit desert where you don't have enough alternatives in terms of buses and trains to get to to get to your appointments, to get to work, to get to school.
0: Thank you. And to maybe emphasize your point, I think I've maybe once, if ever, been to Alphabet City. And maybe that's because there's not a lot of transportation options to, to get there and back. So I think that maybe emphasizes your point.
1: Yeah. I like the analogy of like the circulatory system um, and in our thinking about our transit in our on our own transit system as well and kind of thinking things moving. Especially, I feel like it's also a slightly, and I don't know if you agree with this, this is, it's like a very New York, New Yorker thing to think about transportation in this wide array of like, there are buses, there's trains, there's cars, there's cabs, there there's just a wide range of ways to get around. Um, but when you think about New York City, you think about the train, you think about that system specifically. And so, you know, out of all different modes of transportation throughout the city and the kind of thinking about transportation as an EJ issue. What made you get involved with the select bus service campaign?
2: So this was actually something that track members agreed upon when we were still organizing. I still remember when Cecil was uh, had his talks and bless his soul. You know, we were deciding on three issues we wanted to campaign around. And so I pushed the one train. That was my thing. I was definitely pus- pushing the one train, and and the elevator issues. A lot of people also brought up the 125th Street corridor and how you can basically walk faster from 8th Avenue to 3rd Avenue. (laughs) And then I think, yeah, the third issue we focused on was a more kind of statewide, citywide issue where we wanted to have the MTA board member to be an actual real, so a riding member of a riding member of the public to actually have vote and not mm. just have an advisory role, and so that's how we decided to focus on the 125th Street station because I mean the 125th Street bus corridor because it is it's it you shouldn't have to take it shouldn't have to take you 45 minutes just to get from uh, First Avenue to Eighth Avenue. And so, at 125th Street again. As yeah, going back to the circulatory system, I used to teach biology. That's why <laughs> it it came. That I thought about that analogy. This you know, it's a very important artery, and so that's how we decided to focus. And around that same time, I think there was a push to make the M60 because it not only plays a role in getting across 125th Street, but Takes you to the airport. And so so that's how we decided to uh, focus on 125th Street and making that a select bus service. And yes, we have seen a huge improvement too.
1: Yeah. And keeping up with that a- analogy, as someone who takes the 101 bus all the time across uh, 125th Street, that artery is very clogged yeah. um, yes. <laughs> all, all the time. And so there is a need, there's still improvement that can be made. But, you know, when you, the times where I do go to LaGuardia Airport and I do have to take the M60, it is relatively quick. like You get there pretty quickly to get across that uh, that corridor and to the airport as well. And I've also noticed one thing, too, that's really helpful for anyone who's employed at LaGuardia Airport as yep. well. It really helps with a lot of the employees that work there who oh, yeah. may live uptown or, or get off the train and can get on that bus and they can actually get to work quickly and on time. I can't imagine if that didn't exist, yep. how long it took them to get to work beforehand.
2: I think my so my older son went to Tag Young Scholars in East Harlem on 109th and Second, and I remember actually taking the entire M101 route from Tag Young Scholars back to our home. I think it took like two hours.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it it shouldn't take that long at all. Yeah, Yeah.
2: to go from 109th and Second, you know, to up here and to Washington Heights, it's like. So yeah. yeah,
0: and I think that's the image that a lot of people have in the city. When I talk to uh, a lot of people I know uh, about taking the bus, like oh, you take the bus, doesn't it take forever to get places? Like, I mean, it can sometimes, but like this is like the image uh, that you know, like we're working against to try to get people to like invest and like care more about the buses as like a a, a potential option because you know this vision that you painted for us earlier about really streamlined service it running comparably fast as a subway like that would be great me just being able to walk out i literally have a bus stop right in front of my apartment me being able to like step out and just hop on that and get where i'm going as fast as i would on the subway that would be great so many people have this image of buses in the city just being so slow because in a lot of places they are you know and that's really detracting from what it could be
1: Do do you or anyone when you were part of like uh, the track or the transportation working group ever discuss like a vision for the 125th Street Corridor, like what it could look like to make it the most, you know, kind of transportation justice forward?
2: Well, I remember us having that walkthrough with the Department of Transportation and the MTA because they were asking us like, okay. so if there, we're only going to stop at certain stops, where should we stop? And so it was like obviously the A train, you know, St. Nicholas because the A train is there and Lenox Avenue because the 2 train is there and Lexington Avenue because the 456 is there. You know, there was, I think, even a debate, you know, because you have metro North is nearby and like, you know, so it stop in between and, mm-hmm. then, and then we focus on, you know, 2nd Avenue, you know, because this anticipated 2nd Avenue, which I just found out, it's not even going to stop at 20, 25th and 2nd. They're going to have it stop near the near the Metro North.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> which, that will be the terminal point.
2: Yeah. And I'm like, but what about the people living near 2nd Avenue who need that? So, yeah, uh, th- that when we do have select bus service, you can just take if yeah. you really need it, it would take Metro North. Yeah, so that was one of our, you know, we showed them those were the main points. You know, the other issue, of course, is when people clog the bus lanes. I guess that that's, you know, so clearly. So the lights actually timing properly. And when cars actually clog the uh, all the bus lane, I think I noticed this is something I've seen with all select bus service, because I remember being able to take the M fifteen from Lower East Side to East Harlem in forty minutes, like that. Wow! I remember a time when you could take that BX twelve from Inwood all the way to the Botanical Gardens within, like I think, yeah, twenty five minutes. You could just like you were there, but you know, because of congestion, I'm sure this got worse with uh, all the ride hail apps there's just too yeah, there's way too many cars on the road right now, that it's just slowed down more. So and, and yeah, it's and whenever I would see like a car blocking on the on the bus lane, I, you know, it would be nice to actually see that busway. Um, mm-hmm. You know, where like 125th Street would just be completely transportation free. Now, I could see a lot of pushback. <laughs> like I know that right now they're talking about making Main Street flushing a busway too. And there is a huge pushback from a lot of the drivers. But having to use the select bus service now on 14th Street, which is now a busway, Yeah, that 14D is running much more quickly than it when when it used to be this really slow crawl. And yeah, something like, yeah, a a busway would be nice. And, you know, actually timed lights, you know, so that the buses would run much more efficiently. So those are kind of some of my vision for, yeah, how we can get it, how we can get to run much more quickly
0: on that same vein and just thinking about beyond 125th street you know there's probably some challenges throughout northern manhattan that and we've i think touched on a couple of them at this point what are some of the most pressing issues that you see related to transportation uptown and i think that Maybe the C train, anything related to the C train might be folded into that. You know, I oh, yeah. as someone who's taken the C train plenty, I can think of some things. So, you know, what are your perspective on just you know, generally transportation related challenges uptown, and and if you want to rope the the C train into that as well?
2: Oh yeah, I have plenty to talk about the C train. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, before I even get into the C train, because I can do talk a lot about that one. The one thing I see is also. The inconsistency of buses, I mean, I know they've done a lot of uh, rerouting of these buses. Like, I know they, you know, eliminated some stops on the M100 so that it can run more quickly and then it doesn't go. Yeah, it doesn't run the 125th Street corridor anymore. So, yeah, that's, that's one thing I can... Where I could see there's a need. Obviously, I brought up the elevator issues, although that's, you know, ever since they overhauled that, those elevators on 181st Street, it's definitely much better. And yes, the C train. So yeah, it's definitely the most, one of the most infrequent, I think I checked on, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Strap Hangers Campaign. Strap Hangers Campaign, you know how they rate all the train lines every year. And the C train is like one of those trains that it's bad, but it's never bad enough that it doesn't get its attention. Because, like, I remember the five train got some attention, the N and R, you know, when they used to call it never and rarely. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that was the name for it. I love that. Yes. The five, yeah. Everyone forgets the five because everyone ignores the five because all the focus is on the four. Uh, Same thing with the three, right? The three is like completely forgotten because all the focus is on the two. And um, the C is the other one. The C is like one of those train lines that where all the focus is on the A and the E and everyone just forgets the C train. And I'm looking at when we go talk about this as an environmental racism, environmental justice um, issue... So, when you look at the stops where the C only stops, like only C train, like no B and C, just the C or A, you know, just the C or A, C and E, only C, all black and brown neighborhoods, <laughs> 155th, 163rd up here. Then you go to Brooklyn, all right, you know, all the Fort Greene, Clinton Hill, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Lafayette Avenue, um, uh, Ralph Avenue, Bed-Stuy, East New York, Clinton Hill. Well, Fort Greene's gentrifying, so I don't know <laughs> if I can bring Fort Greene into that mix. But it always seems to affect black and brown neighborhoods, and it's it makes you wonder why this is not a priority sometimes. But again, it's the lack of frequency that if I miss a train, I have to wait at least 10 Sometimes 15 and sometimes even 20 minutes for a train. Whereas if I miss that one train, the most I have to wait is four minutes. The most. Every once in a while, one, five minutes, six. I know Riders Alliance right now is doing six-minute service even during off-peak hours. And I'm looking at them like, I'm lucky if I get six-minute service during peak hours. And so now I understand why the one train runs that often because you, if you do have to wait more than five minutes for that one train, you are, it is packed. So I, I get it, but I almost feels that sometimes that it's packed because the C train runs so infrequently. So more people are packing themselves onto one train. That's at least that's the feeling I get when you're, why less people run the C train. And it almost, it's like that vicious cycle, like Less people ride the C-train, so therefore it runs more <laughs> infrequently, and so therefore you're stuck you know, with infrequent service, so therefore even less people ride <laughs> the C-train. It's just this vicious cycle that kind of repeats itself. And I remember asking someone that worked in the MTA, why? Why is it that this happens? You know, that if I miss the C train, I have to wait at least 10 minutes. Whereas if I miss the one train, the most I have to wait is well, four minutes, usually two or three minutes. And they explained to me, it's like, well, the C shares the tra- the line with the A from Canal Street to uh, Hoyt Scammerhorn. The B from 135th to 59th and the E from 50th to, um, well, really 42nd, from 42nd to Canal. And therefore, there's no need to run the sea that frequently. I said, okay, except if you live in one of those stations where only the sea runs. And guess what? Those happen to be, once again, black and brown neighborhoods. <laughs> and so... So they, he did, of course, didn't get that. I mean, one of my solutions, like at least for up here, um, and I actually wrote a blog about it with, well, your colleague and fellow track member Lewis Bailey. We, and it was his solution it was that maybe the C could kind of run similarly to the way uh, the four, five, six. You know how they have the circle and the diamond when when they go into the Bronx or the 7 has the circle and the diamond. Well, the 7 already has a circle and diamond. But yeah, and it's something very similar like that, where you have, you know, like an, a diamond A and a circle A, depending on whether it's going to Far Rockaway or whether it's going to Ozone Park, and that that A would stop at 155th and 163rd. And then we can you know, figure out a plan for the Brooklyn side, you know, because I don't want to, I don't want to ignore the people in Brooklyn. You know, if you're on, if you take Ralph Avenue, I I, I feel your pain too. Mm -hmm. We're going through the same thing. And so, so yeah, that, that's, that was one of the uh, solutions that I've proposed that maybe the MTA look at. But yeah, it's, if you rely on the sea, it's, it's also no surprise that this is the, quote-unquote last affordable part of the neighborhood although that's slowly changing too (laughs) Um, and i'm just getting the feeling that the minute this neighborhood gentrifies even more that maybe they'll start stepping up so
0: yeah that sounds about accurate (laughs) yeah and
1: that's also something that we look at as well in the environmental justice space and any of these justice spaces too is like as we make these improvements to these neighborhoods we also want to make sure we're not displacing people so that the people who have been living here and who have been suffering you know all these different uh issues actually get to see the benefits and not pushed out into a neighborhood that has the same problems and then the cycle kind of continues going from there so that's the it's great that you brought that up too of of just the need to make sure that we're not displacing people as we try to make improvements um, in their own neighborhoods and communities.
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're near the end of our time together, so I want to pose it to you to mention anything else that was on your mind that you think is important for the listeners to know about transportation or about other work that you're doing that that you that you want to share.
2: Uh, yeah, sure. So actually, somewhat related to transportation, I've actually been doing a lot of work on school bus. Safety too, and school bus rights. Um, I, so I gotta give a special plug to the people at Parents to Improve Parents to Improve School Transportation. Or PIST. I <laughs> yes. love that. Yeah, PIST NYC. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to uh, Sarah Catalonado and uh, Miragros Cancel. They're 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 really huge powerhouses. Over there, um, you know, Sarah is actually a retired sets teacher whose children were also school bus riders, like my kids are. And you know, she she that's what she does is uh, school bus advocacy. Uh, and yeah, we actually featured her. I happen to have my own podcast called New Normal in Parenting uh, that I recorded mainly for parents during the. Um, during the pandemic and yeah one of the issues we did bring on was school bus like school bus safety once when the schools were beginning to reopen and what were schools doing you know and making sure that you were having bus drivers that were a adequately paid adequately trained and uh were given job security so employment the EPP employment protection plan and so, because, and the same thing with the bus attendants. Like, I want someone who is driving my children to school to be very qualified. Um, and that's not asking for much. Uh,
0: well, thank you so much for, for joining us. And we'll make sure to include uh, information in the show notes for, for your, your podcast so folks can check that out. And, uh, we'll be joined uh, by Bailey to talk more about transportation shortly sure. after this so uh we can talk a little bit more about anything we might have missed but thanks again and hopefully have you back soon sure yeah, yeah.
2: and thank i'll you. definitely share some of the blogs that i've written on this and yeah. including the one that bailey and i wrote together so for amazing. sure. all right all
0: right thank you thank you sure. All right, we are joined now by WEACT's very own Louis Bailey, he goes by Bailey, uh, but Bailey do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and give folks a little bit of background about how long you've been at WEACT, what you work on, all that sort of stuff?
3: My name is Louis Bailey and again, as Jaron said, I go by the name Bailey. I've uh, been at WEACT since 2012 when I came on as a volunteer working on the select bus service on 125th Street. Um, I chair also the planning committee and I'm the manager of membership and organizing here at the organization.
0: Awesome, thank you Bailey. Uh, Do you wanna say, a little, little bit about uh, your experience with the 125th Street Select Bus Service. We talked about that a little bit with Flora, but it'd be great to hear, you know, uh, what your experience was. It sounds like that was your first like real campaign that you worked on, right? That
3: is correct. Um, it was pretty contentious. Um, as people know, at one time, there was four bus routes going along 125th Street. And... It took forever just to get across. You could walk faster across 125th Street. So the idea was prompted through the WEAC to have a bus that could kind of get you across a little faster in a special lane, um, which eventually came out to be called Select Bus Service. A lot of the shop owners on 25th Street didn't want it. They didn't want buses skipping their uh, particular um Offices going down 125th Street, so we had some pushback originally, but we was trying to get them to understand we just wanted faster service along 125th Street.
1: And at what stage in the in the campaign did you come on at the very beginning?
3: I came in in the middle of it when we were just really doing more outreach. We were having these community charrettes with the community boards because the bus traverses, you know, community boards nine, ten. And 11. So we had to get buy in, which was really tough because everybody had a different lens of what they wanted for the bus to come across. They didn't want the bus skipping their stops in their community. So, um, it took a while to get everybody on board, and even some of the elected officials had pushback and questions, but we kept, as always, in organizing, you just keep making the ask, keep making the ask, and eventually everybody came around, and it turned in what we now call Select Bus Service, the M60.
0: And besides the 125th Street Select Bus Service campaign, what are some of the other projects that that you've worked on that... Uh, are important to WE Act and, and, and are important projects that you feel like people should know about.
3: I think people should know that, you know, accessibility is important um, for the subways. People take buses and trains, but our subways here in northern Manhattan, we have 42 subway stations, but only seven are accessible via an elevator. And that shouldn't be that. It should be an environmental justice issue. So the currently I'm working on the 125th Street and Broadway train station where the number one, we want to get an elevator at that train station. They have an escalator but the escalator only takes you to the mezzanine where the token booth is, and then you still have to traverse another 10 steps to get to the platform. So we're working on that with the elevator lobby, a local organization, and we're just trying to bring Columbia on board to say, hey, let's make this a priority for our our area residents in northern Manhattan.
1: So can you kind of walk us through a little bit about, like, what does that process look like from the organizing perspective or when you're kind of getting together and you're building that power with the community um, for these kind of campaigns? Like, what are some of the things that you have to you have to think about?
3: I think with any campaign, you have to look at it from the perspective of the community resident. What what do people want? People want access to good jobs and good food, but also with transportation, you want trains that are on time stations that are clean. And you want to be able to access this train station without having to navigate 20, 30, and sometimes 40 sets of stairs to get to the platform. So when you talk to members or you talk to community residents, you want to hit them right right in the heart. You want to get what it is it that they want to see. And residents, if you ask them the right questions, they'll tell you what they desire, what they want, and what do they consider lacking.
0: So you mentioned this already a little bit in one of your previous answers, talking about transportation as an environmental justice issue. And a couple of things came up when we were talking to Flora, uh, things that you mentioned as well, thinking about accessibility and availability, and she used the term transit deserts. And just because I think it's interesting to, to really try to put in precise words, how do you see transportation as an environmental justice issue? and like Why is that such a driving force for the work that you do here at WeAng?
3: I think when I look at transportation, I look at it from, I'm looking at it, um, a lot of our highways run through environmental justice communities. We have the Cross Ponce as a classic example of environmental racism. Robert Moses bulldozed over 3,000 homes to build the Cross Bronx Expressway. And our train systems are kind of built also the same way. They come through communities But the communities that need the most have to take a bus to get to the train station. And that impacts people's quality of life. If you have to take a bus to a train just to get to work or even to take your kid to school, that is impeding on people's quality of life. And I just think accessibility, affordability um, are key components. We have an upcoming uh, transit fare hike coming up and people can't afford another, whether it's 15 cents, 20 cents, that adds up throughout the year. It could be an extra dinner. It could be an extra movie out with the family and it could be a vacation if you add it all up. So the people that reside in these communities need this type of service to serve them and serve all of their needs. I have a quick
1: question really for you. You know now because I don't even check anymore because I'm I'm grateful and have that privilege to not have to worry about it too much. How much is a monthly unlimited Metro
3: card? It's now up to one hundred and thirty dollars and it's going to rise again. One hundred and thirty dollars is a lot to ask a person who is a limited means to pay that amount. You know, the medium income for the Bronx is twenty eight thousand dollars. So people have to kind of juggle, I'm going to miss a meal here, or I'm not going to go out and do something. So that's a big problem for communities. You know, we have families that I know that share a Metro card. The parents use it during the week, and they give it to the kid, and the kid can use it on the weekend. So mm-hmm. it shouldn't be. You should be able to have access to be able to go in and out uh, around the city. You know, New York is unique. We depend more on our transit system than any other one in the country, you know. So it's important that the fare stay where where it is or give people a reduced fare card to make sure that they're able to get around the city.
0: Yeah. So I'm hearing a couple things now, like thinking about trying to define transportation and like really – Talk about some of the dimensions of it as it relates to environmental justice. We talked about accessibility, like making stations actually accessible pe- for people, uh, elevators, working elevators, and talking about availability. Are they actually in the communities that need them? Affordability. Besides those three things, I'll happen to start with an A. Uh, what are some other things that you feel like are important to build good transportation system that serves uh, environmental justice communities or that serves low-income communities, that serves communities of color in ways that it's not doing now.
3: I just think, you know, when New York City Transit first came about, it was meant for people coming from the suburbs, the other borough, outer boroughs, coming into the city to work and going back. And that's when people worked at an 8 to 4, 9 to 5. It has drastically changed since then. Now, people are working 10 to ten to 6, 11 to 7, 12. People are working around the clock. But the, the subway system and the service doesn't match that. So you could be coming home at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, and the train is coming every 15, 20 minutes. That's a lot, as compared to during the rush hour, which is considered 6 in the morning to like 9 30 in the morning you don't have the the regular subway service that you need so i think the mta needs to ex, you know expand service to meet the needs of the people they're always saying oh they want people to come back but you have to give them something to come back to so i think the mta needs to rethink this rush hour is only three hours in the morning and three hours in the evening rush hour is 24 hours in new york city
1: that's a really good point I guess I don't think about it that way until we're we're in this very nine to five centric mm-hmm. as view of the of the world when a lot of people especially in a lot of communities that are underserved don't work traditional nine to five jobs um, and don't necessarily travel into downtown Fidei area to to do their work and so I, I just think that's a really interesting point of like we don't There is no real rush hour in New York City. It's always rush hour, technically.
3: And we saw that happen during the pandemic. What happened if you worked overnight? They shut down the subways from 12 p.m. to 6 in the morning. How are people supposed to get around? Mm -hmm. If I can't afford the subway, I definitely can't afford to take an Uber or a Lyft. So Mm -hmm. how are people expected to go around? So you penalized the people that served the, uh, the service, and you just made them get into a position where it was even worse than they already imagined.
0: So something that I think that a lot of people related to transportation, I think this is related to what we're talking about and covering all the dimensions of, of transportation. Uh during the pandemic, one of the most impacted groups were folks working on the transit system, subway operators who couldn't avoid, you know, being exposed because there were people who were still taking the subway, trying to go to work, trying to do things in person. And they, there was a huge impact of COVID on, on transit workers. How do you feel like this whole discussion around environmental justice and transportation includes them in the conversation and thinking about folks who are, are working for the transit system?
3: I think it was an injustice to, to force people, even though I know they had to work, to force mm-hmm. them into a situation of potentially contracting COVID and then that reducing service even further, because you don't have enough operators to operate the trains and open up the doors and clean the subways uh, and maintain the subway cars and the subway yards, it was a whole lot to like unpack, but that was sort of the cascading effects of having a pandemic mm-hmm. when we had it and the way it just blossomed all over the doggone City it was just unreal
0: but in like the general work that the transportation working group does, do transit workers? Factor into Is that like something that is that like any issues with having enough transit workers to like operate the system or like a good good pay for those jobs? Like, is that a part of the conversation at all? Or is that kind of outside of what you all focus on as part of the working group?
3: I think it's right now it's out, but it's a good topic to bring up mm-hmm. um in terms of, of these workers. Yes, they deserve rights. They're in a union. They deserve the rights. Um, but the group mainly focuses on the average New Yorker mm-hmm. that has to get up and maybe take a bus to a train or the person knows if they don't catch that 7 o'clock A train that they're going to be late for work. So if that train is five minutes late, then that means they're going to be late for work. So there's a lot of the working group discuss during the the meetings that we have.
1: Transportation itself, as we're talking, is such a wide topic when it comes to environment and climate justice and transit justice. Uh, As Flora talked about um, when we were talking to her, it's such a wide topic. Can you Kind of maybe briefly walk through some of the transit related campaigns that WEACT has done or like kind of just talk through some of them and how they kind of relate to the work that we do.
3: I think, um, well, the first was when I came on board in 2012 was the select bus service. But we've been kind of working on the outskirts, not directly in, uh, working on issues, but we've been supporting other groups like the Riders Alliance and Transportation Alternative and some of their initiatives. But um, we're always concerned that we want New Yorkers, you know, the average New Yorkers, to be able to live, work, play, pray, and go to school. But how do you get there? New York City Transit. There's just no way around it. And we're a 24-hour city, so people are moving all about um, but we continue to advocate to make sure that again these trains are accessible uh, the system is affordable and that people's commutes are not one or two hours depending on the line you're on if you're in far rockaway and you're coming to the city your commute is about an hour and 45 minutes to get into the city and that should not be
0: thank you and thanks for bringing up the a's again because i think i thought of one more a to add to the list and i think oh, this is also related to you know oh, brace yourself about, uh, <laughs> and no surprise here it's air quality? Because obviously I'm the air quality person. Another thing I think a lot of people think about when they think about transportation is what is the impact of our transportation system on our local air quality? And I know that there's some of our historic campaigns that uh, I think we've maybe mentioned before, but we can recap them here as well, that have been related to transportation and air quality. Do you want to speak to some of those? I know they may not be directly related to the work that the Transportation Working Group is doing now, but I think they're relevant and and maybe helpful.
3: I do think the air quality in the system is substandard, because you have to think about how below grade, below the street level you are, and there's a limited amount of space as the train comes in, the train comes out of different tunnels going to different boroughs, so the air quality is, is poor, um, and when you take a good 3 million people in the morning that are traveling, going to work, school, going wherever they're going... There's a potential for a real issue regarding health and people spreading bacteria or any type of other uh, respiratory illness to another person that's sitting right next to them. So I know the air quality is bad down there, but you got you got to get to work. You know, you got to get to work.
0: Yeah. And that's related to, you know, air quality in the subway itself. Right. Right. Metal on metal, those brakes grinding—you can hear it when you're on the on the subway platform. <laughs> like it hurts my ears; it's probably bad for my lungs. And we'll circle back. I think I think that's interesting for us to talk about um, in terms of folks uh, who are less familiar with some of our other campaigns around transportation and air quality. Could you like briefly mention some of those? And then I want to make sure we circle back to the subway station air quality thing. So <laughs> it's like things maybe for example, briefly talking about like our dirty diesel campaign again i know you didn't work on it directly but maybe just mentioning that and like the mother clara hale bus depot just because those are really big campaigns that folks might have heard of
1: and the bus electrification
3: yes so the dirty diesel campaign um was early on and we asked when it's in its infancy um New York City has um, seven bus depots in, northern, in Manhattan, but five of them are located in northern Manhattan. So all the buses that go downtown were coming uptown, but they were diesel. And our kids, our seniors, um, this exasperated asthma and other respiratory illness. So we fought to make sure the MTA starts transitioning from those dirty diesel buses to what we now have is hybrid electric buses. The Mother Clara Hale was another example of a depot that just was not meeting the air quality standards for the area around it, which is um, the Mother Clara Hale task force that worked on it. But basically, we tore that building down to, its, to the ground to make sure that when it was rebuilt, that it was going to be the meanest, cleanest depot in the country. And it reached that potential. So um, I was glad to work on that as well.
1: Oh, and just you know, for some people who may not really understand that visual because of the work that We Act has done, like it's the bus that spews out that black smoke at the top. Like you don't see that anymore, as or you don't see it as much. But imagine hundreds of buses throughout multiple depots and concentrated in one area, all revving up, all starting throughout the day, all going through these neighbor, you know, these neighborhoods like at one time, it creates. You know, I just think the image is really powerful to really think about how how if you were to see that now or today, how we'd be like that. That's kind of crazy to see. Um, but that part is because of that's what we act worked for. Right. To make sure that that doesn't exist.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And you make a great point. If you add that along with a lot of the northern Manhattan streets are truck routes. Mm-hmm. So Amsterdam is a truck route. Uh, 7th Avenue is a truck route. 125th Street is a truck route. So, if you combine all of that, the air quality is, is poor. And you wonder why people have asthma and other respiratory illnesses that develop over years. It doesn't happen overnight, it happens over years of breathing this dirty dust and this particulate matter on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, communities of color have been harmed throughout the centuries.
0: Yeah. And, I had a conversation with someone recently about this transition to uh, hi- hybrid buses and the air quality impact that that had. And I think something that's interesting uh, is that the original focus, was, you know, because of the air quality uptown was poor because of these bus depots. There was a this fight for impro- for sw- switching the buses, and that led to essentially improved air quality throughout the city. Right, we have switching out these buses throughout the whole city. So uh, it's interesting that you know when you have these these fights to improve the infrastructure, improve the conditions in communities of color. There's benefits for other parts of the city as well, and there's all the more reason for us to be doing these campaigns and for for pushing for these improvements, because at the end of the day, everyone wins. It benefits everyone, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think this is helpful to have this conversation about the air quality piece, because that's, I feel like, what a lot of people think of uh, who are maybe a little bit less New York City-centric when they think about transportation, they think about pollution, they think about air quality, and maybe not some of these other key pieces that you're talking about with transit specifically. So, with that, we can maybe we can circle back now to your, uh, your comment you made earlier about the, the air quality in the, the subway, if, if you had other thoughts about that.
3: I just think... As it's tied to people's commutes, the average commute is about 40 minutes. So if you're down underground for 40 minutes from the time you enter, waiting on the platform, you're on a train and you get off, what are you breathing or what? what's the air quality that's being exchanged from one passenger to another, whether you're in the subway car or on the platform? It has to be, it has to take a toll on the effect and you may not feel it today or maybe in six months, but Couple of years down the line, you're wondering why I'm, why why is this cough that I have, I'm not able to get rid of? You know, so I just think. We need to look at that as another environmental justice issue. The people that have to ride it are the ones that are going to bear the brunt of these environmental um, injustices.
1: And I think it's part of like our ongoing campaigns to improve transit accessibility and uh, access. And we can also think about that other A that Jaron mentioned, air quality. Is that I think we should be thinking about ventilation and ways to mitigate those those issues when we're talking about improving uh, transit and service as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, especially because. So much of the work that we're doing is trying to make sure that folks have access to transit, but encouraging more people to take transit as an alternative to cars and, and trying to reduce our emissions in that way. But then if we're encouraging people to take transit, we need it to be clean so that we're not impacting their their health and that they can breathe clean air when they're down there on the subway that folks have worked so hard to you know make it affordable, accessible. Available and clean air. Yes, all the four four A's. I'm going to put those in the show notes. (laughs) And,
3: you know, while we're talking, I want to make one other point. You know, as we try, the MTA tries to transition to this electric fleet, they're going to need the infrastructure to do that. And I think communities of color, again, as Manhattan has five bus depots in northern Manhattan, I think one of the depots in this area should be made an all-electric uh, depot. There's only one depot that has the ability to charge um, buses, and they only have 10, and that's at um, downtown at the Michael J. Quill uh, depot. They only have the ability to do 10. But that's downtown, where they only have one bus depot, which is mm-hmm. below 96th Street. Mm-hmm. We have the others, and I think we should get an electric depot as a as a way of showing the MTA and the community that they're really serious about air quality.
0: Yeah. And Charles will like that I say this that those jobs at that bus depot go to people in the community. Right. Yeah, yes.
3: So when people think about transportation, is a whole lot of other sectors that integrate into transportation, and we need to think holistically about how that the communities that are that are being served or underserved get the resources, get the jobs, get the accessibility that they need to lead productive lives. Yeah.
0: What a great note to end on. Before we wrap up, any last thoughts, comments, or things that you wanted to share with folks, either about the transportation working group or any of the other work that you're doing, just in terms of ways that they can get involved.
3: Okay. So if anybody wants to get involved, our next meeting will be on August 21st, 6 p.m. via Zoom. All are welcome to come and bring your transportation issues. The more that we talk about it as a group, I think we will elevate the voices of people that have not been heard, that have not been understood about how transportation affects them and their families and their loved ones.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Bailey. We'll make sure to include that information in the show notes for folks that want to join the Transportation Working Group. And hopefully we'll have you back on the show again soon.
3: Thank you so much.
0: So I hope you enjoyed those interviews. And for anyone who uh, is still thinking about uh, us teasing the idea of an episode about biking and bike infrastructure in the city, feel free to uh, let us know if you're interested in hearing an episode about biking and biking infrastructure in New York City. We'd love to do an episode about that at some point. And you can uh, let us know by emailing us at podcast at weact.org. And Lonnie, where else can the folks find us? You can
1: check out We Act on Facebook at We Act for EJ, that's W E A C T F O R E J. Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at We Act for EJ, that's W E A C T number four E J. And check out our website, weact.org, for more information about environmental justice. And that's it.
0: Until next time, ride safe.